Hey, it's Erica. I just wanted to let you know that you can now listen to Global News What Happened to ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. A listener's note. The following episode contains coarse language, adult themes, and content of a violent and disturbing nature, and may not be suitable for everyone. Listener discretion is advised. In terms of females, I mean females and women, because you're 25, you're a young man, right? We'll call them women. Um, in terms of your feelings towards women in general, uh, how would you describe that? I would say that sometimes I am a bit upset that they choose to uh, date uh, obnoxious men instead of uh, uh, gentlemen. A killer's frustration with his inability to attract a mate was at the heart of the deadliest vehicle ramming attack in Canada. Being celibate, involuntarily yes. celibate. What does that mean? That means, an, celibacy means uh, uh, someone who never before has a sexual intercourse. Right. Uh, involuntary celibacy means this wasn't your choice. You I see. essentially are, uh, have been thrown into true forced loneliness and you're unable to lose your virginity. I'm Erica Vela, a journalist with Global News. And today we're digging deeper to look at a pervasive online community that the killer says inspired him to commit this heinous act. This is What Happened to Incel. Just like we did in the previous two episodes, we've made the decision not to name the man convicted in the Toronto van attack. As a news organization, our editorial team has used the name of the driver in our coverage as it's necessary for the podcast. But you won't hear me say the driver's name in this series. On the night of April 23rd, 2018, the man who was suspected of driving a white rental van on a busy sidewalk at Young and Finch was taken into custody and interviewed by Toronto police detective and polygrapher, Detective Rob Thomas. You'll remember from the previous episodes that in the interview with Detective Thomas, the court heard about the term involuntary celibate, or incel for short. The driver of the rental van was eventually found guilty of 10 counts of murder, and sentenced to life in prison without parole for 25 years. And in the 68-page court decision, incel is defined as follows. Quote, A group of disaffected young men who hang out on fringe websites such as 4chan and feel aggrieved that women, Stacys, will not have sex with them because they prefer other obnoxious males, chads. Elliot Roger was an American mass murderer, sometimes celebrated by those in the incel community, and a subject of interest for John Doe. Unquote. When this story first broke in 2018, many had no idea what the term meant, but soon we discovered the nefarious underground community whose tentacles weave its way through the internet, spreading through the dark web like a virus and surfacing on more common sites like Reddit and YouTube. While the incel community is now dominated by men, it didn't start that way. Mike Halpin is an assistant professor at Dalhousie University, and he says the term was coined in 1997 when a Canadian woman named Alana started a support group online for people struggling to form relationships. She was the one that coined the term, and it's just a combination 
of the term involuntary and celibate. And so she was the first one to coin that term. The community that she was starting and, and people were participating in doesn't really resemble what we think of incels today. It was, it was, you know, women were involved. She's a woman, obviously. It was more about the kind of frustrations and, and complications with, you know, wanting a romantic partner and not being able to have one. Over time, the community became uh, more and more populated by men and also more and more by people who were upset and angry about being alone. Um, incel communities started popping up on places like 4chan and Reddit. Mike became interested in the incel community after the 2016 election. I was doing my PhD in the United States when Donald Trump was elected. And I think like many people, I was just like, what happened? Like, how, how did this happen? It totally caught me off guard. Um, after it happened, I heard about some of these websites that were for like alt-right kind of, you know, angry men where there was a lot of Trump supporters. So the communities that I got interested in were um, mostly at, on, in the beginning on 4chan. It's a discussion board that has a lot of like Nazi white supremacist content on it. The first thing when you look at an incel discussion board, the first reaction you have is shock about how uh, very explicitly they're deriding women and how much they, they hate women and men and how angry they are. Uh, so initially it's a lot of shock. And then I think the second thing is curiosity because you see the complexity of the subculture that there, there is a lot going on and they do look at the world much differently than you and I look at the world. They look at the world firmly through this lens of lookism and it, it, it distorts or informs everything that they see. According to the website Love Not Anger, Alana's involuntary celibacy project started as a friendly forum for men and women, gay and straight. She created the term involuntary celibacy as a neutral alternative to pejorative phrases like loser virgin. Mike explains that the community then evolved into something much darker. And so the the conversations about uh, incels and voluntary celibacy became more and more characterized, again, by that anti-social sentiment, the anti-feminist sentiment, and more and more defined by the experiences of men. And as it changed, there was a surprising connection to the sci-fi movie, The Matrix. You take the blue pill, the story ends, you wake up in your bed and believe whatever you want to believe. You take the red pill, you stay in Wonderland, and I show you how deep the rabbit hole goes. Uh, so there's a scene in The Matrix where there's a red pill and a blue pill. And you take the blue pill, you stay in The Matrix, and you, uh, you know, live in blissful ignorance. So me, you, everybody else in society, we're blue pilled because we, we, we've swallowed, we accept social rules and regulations. The red pill in many of these uh, male-oriented communities is waking up to the idea that there's a war against men and boys, that feminism has a, a, a toxic influence on society, and that we need to go back to traditional gender roles. So many of these communities, men go their own way, pick up artist communities, are red-pilled, and that, you know, the idea that all women want to be dominated by a strong man, uh, feminism needs to be abolished, men need to be the primary bread or winners and families, they need to have resources, power, and control. And there's women who are members of some of these communities as well. 
What's interesting is that just recently, one of the movie's co-directors, Lily Wachowski, confirmed after years of speculation that The Matrix is a trans allegory. Lily and her sister and co-director, Lana, have both come out as transgender women since The Matrix debuted. In the movie, Neo is offered a choice between the red and blue pill, but Mike explained the incel community has one more. The black pill is an extension of that. So the black pill, you know, the red pill is based on these ideas of resisting feminism, fighting against feminism, fighting for men. The black pill is, is black because it's fatalistic. It's, it's giving up, it's realizing that the, there's, the world is bleak. And what that means is, is that women's sexual preferences are fixed and they, they can't be changed except on a big social level, like mandating that women have to be partnered to men, like one woman, one man across all society. So the idea is that women's uh, sexual preferences are fixed. Women will always prefer uh, the most attractive men. Their sexual preferences are fixed by lookism. And if you were an average or below average man, you have literally no hope of ever getting a romantic or sexual relationship. And if you manage to have a romantic or sexual relationship, uh, the woman you're in a relationship with is using you. Uh, probably for money and is cheating on you with a more attractive man. So the idea here is that if you, if you are not uh, in that peak level of attractiveness, you are going to be penalized by lookism uh, for your entire life. And many men are, are doomed or destined to be incels because of how this works. And uh, taking the black pill means accepting that it is over and you're going to be an incel forever. It doesn't matter uh, if you get a good job, it doesn't matter if you make a lot of money. It doesn't matter if you have a great personality, a good sense of humor. None of that stuff matters. The only thing that matters is your physical attractiveness because that's all women care about. And one of the things that the black pill entails is that women's romantic and sexual preferences are fixed. And they're fixed by, in part by biology. And that women will always prefer the most attractive potential male partner. Uh, so all women will be unfaithful uh, in the right context, and they all go for the extremely attractive men. The fatalism that you will be alone together or forever is a, a key component of their ideology. It's something that the killer in the Toronto van attack spoke about with Detective Rob Thomas in the interview room. He referenced conversations he had on messaging boards like 4chan. What would the, what would the, tip, the typical conversations contain? Uh, red pill truths about uh, why uh, women uh, choose to uh, date uh, obnoxious men. Date the chads. Yeah. The chads of this world. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Basically, the Stacey's going for the chads. Exactly. Stacey's and chads, they aren't literal people. What you're hearing here is the social taxonomy and hierarchy of the incel community. Mike said it's almost like a 1980s teen movie. They're very cliche types of archetypes of people, but in general, there are chads. Chads are the most attractive 10 out of 10 white men, and they're, they're white men. Uh, and chads, rich or poor chads, doesn't matter. Rich or poor chads are always sex, sexually, sexually successful with women. And so 
one of the people that they use as like an archetype sometimes is Chris Hemsworth, like that type of like very attractive man. And it's, you know, the idea that if he was like a, you know, an, a guy who is unemployed, but still looked like that, he would have no trouble uh, romantically at all. Mike went on to explain some of the terminology used for women in the message groups. And I need to warn you that some of it is hard to hear. I know my producer and I had a hard time with this. We're women, and we know the rage is targeted towards us. And then on the flip side, there's there's a hierarchy of women. At the peak are Stacy's. So Stacy's are the most attractive 10 out of 10 white women. And um, they're at the top. They're the most desirable. They're going to ignore the vast majority of men. They only pursue chads. Slightly underneath Stacy's are Becky's, who are attractive white women, but not to the, the, the realm of Stacy's. There's many, many, many terms to deride and humiliate women based on their bodies. Um, women in general, all women are referred to as foids, which is short for femoid. So it's this idea of being a female android because they, they love their portmanteaus. Um, so this idea that women are you know, uncaring, detached, calculative on one hand. And then in other contexts, women are just these, uh, they're kind of animals driven by their lust and they, they only pursue uh, chads in a very animalistic way. Mike says incels use very racist, misogynistic language to categorize women and men. Uh, so they, they might be, you can imagine like a, an average guy who is like a seven out of 10 or a six out of 10, who's just a, they would call a normie. He has no idea that the fact that he has no romantic success is because of lookism. Uh, he buys into the kind of, uh, you know, social scripts about what he's supposed to do, doesn't question anything. Some men who are not chads uh, with terminology like soy boy, beta male, new male. And that's a way of deriding men who were, who were average or below attractive, but who endorse or believe in feminism in some way. And usually they're critiquing those men for pretending to be feminist as a strategy to get romantic partnerships. This was the ideology that the killer subscribed to. Manassian was very explicit, or trying to be very explicit, with, about his connection to the community. And you see that when he, he says, you know, when he directly refers to um, Elliot Rogers and the note that he, he leaves before he commits the massacre. On the evening of May 23rd, 2014, a 22-year-old man killed six people and injured over a dozen others. But before the massacre, he released a manifesto. Yeah, the sense very quickly that he is a, a remarkably lonely person, uh, that he's incredibly narcissistic. He tells a story that many incels tell that they expect women to approach them rather than vice versa. So he's actually very aggrieved that no women are coming up to him. Uh, sees himself as very desirable, becomes angry and angry over time. He participated on some of these early, uh, what we are usually calling in academia, Manosphere websites, not my favorite name in the world, but uh, it is what it is. Uh, so he was participating in some of these Manosphere websites that are, are um, uh, have incel audiences that, that focus on pickup artists and how pickup artists mislead, mislead men and give men false hope. So he, he was aggrieved by that. In his manifesto, he's very clearly upset by the fact that he was never going to have sex. And the fact that uh, he wasn't having sex was the thing that uh, 
really motivated his his desire to commit violence and um, his hatred towards women. And then he releases the manifesto and commits the the mass killing, and it brings a lot of attention on the community and the experience of men who who go by the term involuntary celibate. The man responsible for the Toronto van attack told investigators that he had communicated with the California killer before his rampage. And when he saw the news of the attack... I felt kind of uh, proud of him for uh, his acts of bravery. Okay, all right. And what about uh, how you started to, 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 to change your thinking? Was, was, any of the, was, was, that, was any of that going on? I was starting to feel uh, radicalized at that time. Mike says these two mass killings have been directly linked to the incel community. It definitely brings more attention onto the incel community. They, a lot of websites are banned after that, that attack. Uh, more people do join it, according to the incel websites themselves. It, it did bring new members to their website. Since the Toronto van attack, there have been other murders linked to the incel community as well. In February 2020, one woman was killed and another was injured in a stabbing inside a massage parlor in Toronto. A 17-year-old man was charged with first-degree murder, and months later, charges were upgraded to murder terrorist activity. Now in a precedent-setting move, police say it was terrorism, and jointly with the RCMP upgraded the charge in court Tuesday to first-degree murder terrorist activity. Police alleging the teen was inspired by the incel movement or the involuntary celibates. 10, 15 years ago, incel was a descriptive neutral term. People who were celibate and it was involuntary. I think we can no longer look at it in like a neutral descriptive way. It is an ideology. It is, it's connected with these men who are extremely misogynistic. I would say people are just getting into the idea of thinking about incels as a terrorist organization or a terrorist ideology. Uh, Canada is really at the, the cutting edge there. So in, in Canada, the first steps have been taken to situate uh, incels as, as a kind of domestic terror group. And that differentiates us from both the United States and the United Kingdom that have had uh, incel-related mass, mass killings in both those countries. There have been other incidents outside of North America. On August 12, 2021, there was a mass killing this time in the UK. Devon and Cornwall police received reports of shots fired from inside a house on a residential street. Inside, they found the killer's mother dead. The killer then went on a rampage, and in the end, he shot and killed five people before fatally shooting himself in what was the first mass shooting in the UK since 2018. Jake Davison in, the, in Plymouth in the United Kingdom and uh, murdered five people also uh, aligned or seemed to be participating in incel ideology. Uh, so yeah, I mean, they, they, the attacks are, are fairly frequent when you start looking at the, the years and the dates. Police have not officially identified a motive, but the killer uploaded videos to YouTube that included references to the inceldom, the black pill and fatalistic worldviews. Mike says in addition to seeing more frequent attacks, there are claims that the online community is growing. You know, Reddit has shut down their message boards. Uh, many of the discussion boards have been shut down. So it's hard to get precise numbers. I would say looking at the, the board that we look at continues to grow uh, since Manassian's, Manassian's attack. The incels on that board 
themselves state that the, it's become more popular since Manassian's attack. Um, the the number of men who were reporting uh, having no sex uh, in the previous year or no sex at all in their life is also growing. So number of men who might potentially situate themselves as incels, whether they align with the ideology or not is growing. And um, <clears throat> there's some YouTube channels that are, are also either for incels or kind of gateways into the incel ideology that continue to be popular and grow in their audience. In March of 2022, the United States Secret Service released a report on the threat of incel. It took a deep dive into a case from 2018. A 40-year-old gunman opened fire inside a Tallahassee yoga studio, killing two women and injuring four others. The report says, quote, the attacker's history highlights the specific threat posed by misogynistic extremism. And the case demonstrates the opportunities that exist to prevent targeted violence while drawing particular focus to the risk posed by misogynistic extremism, end quote. So when the Toronto van attack occurred, I was in a room full of feminists. We were all part of the G7 Gender Equality Advisory Council and providing high-level advice to world leaders about how they can address misogyny, how they can advance gender equality. And so when it happened, it was a punch to the gut. It was also a moment where I thought this could happen to so many of us. And how so often the threats that many feminists, women, gender non-binary, trans folks are subjected to online are oftentimes disregarded or told, you know, it's not a big deal, it's just online. But how this online violence actually can later on be happening in real life. And so many times it does happen that way, but too often it's not taken seriously. We are oftentimes told to just, you know, kind of go along with it, or it's just a wallpaper in your lives. I often say this idea that it's just something that is around us that we're supposed to put up with. It's like that ugly wallpaper from the 1970s. You can get off of your, you know, your cute apartment, but it's not, and it shouldn't be. That's Farah Khan. She spent over two decades raising awareness about the intersections of gender-based violence. She's a member of the Government of Canada's Advisory Council on the Strategy to Prevent and Address Gender-Based Violence and is the manager of Consent Comes First at Toronto Metropolitan University. She said gender-based violence and misogyny are rooted in North America's history, and it's a global issue. What we know is that 636,000 sexual assaults happen every year in Canada. And sexual assault is actually one of the lowest reported crimes that we know. So those numbers are probably really low. We know that globally, one in three women, one in six men, one in two trans or gender non-binary people will be subjected to sexual violence. We know in Ontario alone, last year, there was an 84% increase of women and girls killed by men in their lives, femicides, 84% increase. So this is an epidemic, yet kind of keep throwing our hands up. I see society being like, how did this happen? How did Porta Peak happen? How did what happened to the trauma van attack happen? They happen because we consistently don't take misogyny seriously. We don't take violence against women seriously. We treat it like a private issue. 
You just heard Farah mention Porta Peak. She's referencing the 2020 rampage by a 51-year-old dentist who committed multiple shootings and set fires at 16 locations in Nova Scotia. During the 13-hour crime spree, he killed 22 people and injured three others before he was shot and killed by the RCMP. It's believed he had a history of abusing his partner, which many ignored, including police. Farah said misogyny sometimes prevents itself in subtle ways. So harassed threats and verbal abuse are the most common ways in which misogyny shows its face. And are often told that that's just light misogyny, that we're supposed to just be okay with it, or there's really no recourse to it. It's the verbal abuse on the street when you say no to someone who's hitting on you. And all of a sudden, they went from sweet to saying that you're a bitch or a cunt. It's a sexual assault on the street, in your home, on the date. It's thinking three times to four times before you put on a cute outfit in the summer, wondering, am I going somewhere where I'll be harassed? Will my dad say something about it? Will my partner say something about it? It's also thinking about the fact that I'm consistently worried when you have a a daughter or niece in your life because you know that they're more likely to be sexually assaulted. It's the everyday ways in which we are told that we have to be quieter, smaller. And if we are, then maybe we'll be safer. But we know violence that no matter how quiet and small we are, it still happens. And these seemingly small, subtle incidents can fester and turn into something bigger and more violent. We have to see misogyny as an epidemic in this country. And that if we don't uproot it, we're going to continue to have mass violence. So things like what happened, the Toronto van attack. So Kate Maine has one of my favorite understandings of misogyny. And she says, misogyny is not about male hostility or hatred towards women. Instead, it's about controlling and punishing women who challenge male dominance. Misogyny rewards women who reinforce the status quo and punishes those who don't. And that is exactly what we're talking about. It's this consistent punishing when you question, when you say no. And a part of what happened in the Toronto van attack in the whole understanding behind it was this piece of entitlement, this idea that if women just could say yes and follow the natural order, quote unquote, that they're supposed to, then this wouldn't happen. happen. This wouldn't happen. Thin cells, this idea that they're entitled to sex, they're entitled to relationships, they're entitled to women. And if women say no, or women aren't interested, then somehow we are going against what is naturally allowed that they are entitled to and that people are entitled to mock, shame, and blame women at all times. And we see that time and time again. Farah said misogyny is systemic, it's pervasive, and it rears its ugly head in ways that are not openly acknowledged. It's not always going to show itself in overtly violent ways like the Toronto van attack, but on occasion, it will, and it has. So work needs to be done to reverse this troubling trend. I think we also have to listen to youth and children because too often we kind of brush it off again as bullying or just like a conflict where both people have the same power, not recognizing how misogyny 
plays out on the playground, how it plays out in our relationships. Parents have to check their own misogyny too, because too often they'll be like, oh, it's not a big deal, they just made a joke. And I'm like, oh no, when you say to your child that that's just a joke and you actually validate that understanding, you're giving them a get out of free card that kind of just doesn't let them be accountable. We have to teach people also about accountability, not apologies, accountability. And accountability is only good if there's actions attached to it that are meaningful. We also need to look at how misogyny bleeds into every part of our lives and look from a gendered lens on how our policies are made, how our hiring practices are, how we teach, how we write our media, how we talk to each other, and recognize that that everyday misogyny that we have leaked into every part of our lives contributes this harm. Over the past three episodes, we heard about the seven minutes that forever changed Toronto. We learned about the alleged motive of the attack and how incel and misogynist ideology is a threat. And the normalization of misogyny is what activists like Farah Khan warn us about. The Toronto van attack is not a bad apple. It was made in Canada because we do not address misogyny head on and uproot it. Global News What Happened To is written and produced by me, Erica Vela, with producer Dila Velezquez. Our audio producers are Rosalind Kafour and Rob Johnson. A special thanks goes to Global News crime reporter Catherine McDonald. I want to take a moment to remember the victims who died or were injured on April 23, 2018, and the countless others who continue to feel the pain from that day. Mary Elizabeth Forsyth. Ranuka Amaransinga, Anne-Marie Domingo, Manir Najjar, Sohei Chung, Chulmin Kang, Dorothy Sewell, Andrea Braddon, Jihoon Kim, Geraldine Brady, and Amaresh Tesfamariam. A special thanks goes to Drew Hasselback, supervising national online journalist for Global News. Let us know what you thought of this episode and please share it with a friend. It will help us to grow the show and bring you more incredible stories. You can also help us out by giving us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. You can also reach out to me personally. We are always looking for stories, so if there's a new story you want us to revisit, you can reach me on Twitter at Erica Vella or email me at erica.vella at globalnews.ca. Thanks so much for listening. <laughs>